Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. I'm also the creator of the public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. You can learn about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Michelle Brenner, and she's a software engineer, but she's also an art school grad, and she's a self-taught engineer. And so in addition, she's a, a speaker, and she speaks at multiple conferences on both technical topics and career growth. So I'm really interested to learn more about her speaking journey. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, Michelle. Thank you for having me. So as I mentioned, you, you, you do art. At least, that's, at least it seems like that, that was your first love. Where'd your interest in art come from? Uh, I just always love drawing and creating. And I've always been fascinated by cartoons. And got me into animation. I know most kids uh, grow out of it, but I haven't. Um, I still have a row on Netflix that says kids, even though I'm an adult, because I just love uh, animated content. And that's what really got me into VFX and animation. And luckily, I've been able to make a career out of it through software engineering and work, mostly working in entertainment technology. Yeah. So, you know, I don't typically hear from people who maybe started off with art and then ended up in software engineering. Where did the, I guess, the transition to software engineering, how did that come about? So uh, it's really interesting. I think entertainment people come from all over the place, actually. I met a lot of people with lots of different backgrounds. It's like, it's like the, you know, the land of misfit toys all want to go make TV and movies, right? So I started actually my first job in visual effects at Sony Pictures as a support engineer. It's this really great way to get into the industry. So it's technical help. Um, it was a shift work. And basically anything that needed to get done to help the movies run. So I, that's where I got to learn Python. That's a lot of, you know, moving files around, making sure drives don't fill up, things like that. And it was this great introduction to all the different departments while helping them with like small tasks. And from there, I was able to grow my engineering skills until I could get, go into more like product and web development. Nice. So I'm kind of curious, does your, I guess, in what ways does your art background, I guess, inform the software engineering that you do? I think a lot about art critiques and how that's helped me become a better engineer. So art critiques is one of the hardest things about art school. So they put your, you know, your thing you worked all night on, on the board, and everyone got to say whatever they want about it. They got to give any feedback they liked. And I wasn't a very good artist. I'm definitely a better software engineer than I am an artist. So it was definitely very difficult, but it became, I became a better artist. And I think about that all the time when I'm doing, when I'm doing things like getting code reviews, like I could do it without, without the emotional aspect of it. It sounds like, oh, this, you know, there's a totally better way to do it. I'd be like, great, let's do that. Like, why wouldn't I do the totally better way to do it? And I think that that gauntlet of going through multiple years of people being like, no, this could be much better. And here's why help prepare me for software engineering. Nice. You know, I did mention in the intro that you're a self-taught engineer and I actually have a friend who used to have a podcast. Hopefully he starts it up again soon. And he interviews quite a number of people who are self-taught 
and he talks to them or he asks them questions about their, their journeys and being self-taught engineers, I guess having a more non-traditional entry into the tech workforce as opposed to people who have you know computer science or computer engineering degrees. Have you found the having being self-taught been any sort of, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe barrier isn't the right word, but any sort of obstacles you've come across being self-taught opposed to having that traditional background? Yeah, I think it's anytime someone comes from a different culture into, into a different culture, um, it, it's difficult, right? So I didn't come from that computer science background culture. So there's a lot of words I didn't know, but I wouldn't know how to do things. Like people would, would say, oh, can you do this? And I would just look at them. But then they'd say, oh, this is how you do it. I'm like, oh, no, yeah, I've done that all the time. I just won't have to know the words for it. Because there are scenarios like that where um, it was just, you just had to overcome the, like, not exactly speaking the same language. Um, and I think the, there is a barrier to, to convincing people that you do know enough. Because I think that having a degree is like a, it's like a shortcut. Like, people see a degree and say, oh, that's, I need someone who knows something that, that's someone who knows something, let's do it. Um, I think that's part of why I got a lot into branding and, and public speaking is that I wanted to show people my skills without relying on the fact that I had a degree or I had these like really impressive projects or internships or backgrounds and just say like, hey, here's a cool thing I did and I can explain it to you really works better when you don't have that shortcut. Yeah, I mean, especially now, when I was actually speaking to someone not too long ago and in cybersecurity, and they say there's a shortage of people that they, that they need for in cybersecurity. And if they're more open to having people with these non-traditional backgrounds enter, then perhaps that shortage goes away more quickly as if, or in, you know, in, as opposed to them requiring people to have this, this particular degree to get into that particular industry. So I, it's, it's good that it's possible for people like yourself that are more self-taught to be able to, to get into industries. Oh, one thing I was, I was actually kind of curious about, even if you're self-taught, is it difficult to move up in organizations or do they then require you to have some sort of certification or, or degree to be able to move up? I think moving up is actually a lot easier than getting in. I think getting in is the hardest part because they don't know you at all. Um, and you have to show off projects and things like that. But once you're in and you're doing the work, that's actually the easier part to me because I can show, hey, I did this project. It had this impact from the company. I'm ready for more challenges. So I think that's actually the, the easier. But I think getting the, the foot in the door is the, is the bigger challenge. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting because I, I am a different type of learner, I think, than people who come from a traditional background. I think learning from textbooks I found really difficult. But learning from having to do something, I found a lot easier. So, and that actually translates really well to the job. And, you know, I tell people to use that when they're interviewing, saying like, hey, talk about a time when you had a challenge and you didn't know how to do something and you overcame it. And that happens to me, you know, every day in my job where something hard will come up and I'll say, oh, no, I'll never figure this out. And then I'm like, no, wait, you've done this like a hundred times. You'll eventually figure it out. Like there's. There's nothing that you can't eventually figure out with this, whether it's through the internet, through your coworkers, through someone, you'll, you'll find a solution to this. And I think that determination and that ability to track down creative solutions is a really important part of engineering. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And, and to your point of, of, of getting in the door, ultimately, 
what you need to do is be able to prove that you can do the job. And, and then ultimately it comes down to the people that you're talking to. If they're dead set on having people with degrees, you can do all the talking you want and all the convincing you want. But if, if that's a, not somewhere that they're willing to go, there's really not much you can do about it. But hopefully people's minds are, and opinions are, are changing on that. And they're seeing that you can have a non-traditional background be just as, as qualified as someone who comes from a, a degree program. You know, you mentioned that you, 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 I also mentioned that you do speaking. Where did the, I guess, your interest in speaking, how did that jump off for you? Well, part of it was I always enjoyed the performance aspect of it. Like, I have a secret desire to be like a stand up comedian, but they're much less secure jobs than software engineers. So, part of it is just getting it out there and having people look at me and getting to enjoy that performance. But as I mentioned, part of it is branding, right? So, um, when I, you know, I was a support engineer, I was a lead, I'd done some engineering work, and I was really looking to get myself out there and get the next job. Um, and I found it really difficult to pass these, like, puzzle challenges and the algorithm challenges, but I'm really good at actually doing things. Like, I'm really good at creating APIs and system distributed systems and things like that. So I was like, well, one way that, that I learned about is to, is to brand yourself, is to do things like, you know, writing blog posts, um, uh, speaking at conferences. And um, one thing that I've never done, but is really great, is, is contributing to open source code. So what I did is I sat down, I was like, hey, what do I want to learn? What projects can I build? And what can I speak about? So that's what, just what I did. I thought about things that I know that I haven't seen a lot of different places. So that's where kind of my career talks came from. I took a lot of the mentorship I got from my really great bosses I've had in the past. I turned those into talks. And then I was like, hey, I want to learn about different things. So one of the things I wanted to learn about was serverless technology. I wasn't using it at work. I thought it looked really interesting. I was like, well, let me do a project on that and then talk about the journey. And I was able to do that. So that's kind of just building on top of that. Um, and seeing like now every time I do a project, I think about how would I communicate this? What is it? What would someone else get out of this? I think there's a lot of stuff that people think like, oh, everyone already knows this or it's on the Internet. But, you know, I think it's everyone has a different story. So no one can tell my story. Right. Everyone tells their different version of the story. And also, I, I think with speaking, people don't always look things up. It's a way of introducing topics that people wouldn't even know to look up and learning about it in a different way or giving it a different direction. I think I've gotten a lot of that out of hearing people talk and say like, oh, I've done this project or I've done this project and it really like, you know, piques your interest into different things. So that's what I try to do. And then I really enjoy it. I just really enjoy being on stage and getting out there and going to conferences. You know, when you were talking, Michelle, it got me thinking on, on what you've done how smart it was, especially for somebody who does have that non-traditional background. So even though you don't have the, you know, the computer science or the computer engineering degree, if you're able to brand yourself by talking about technical topics, well, then anybody in the audience will know this person actually knows what they're talking about. So regardless of whether they have a degree or not, if we were to offer, you know, bring them in to, for a job, then they likely will be able to do it because they're, they're able to talk about it. So if they're able to talk about it, they're probably likely able to do it as well. So that was, that was smart on your part. Was that always the plan? Yeah, um, I would rather give 10 technical talks than do one algorithm challenge. It's just something I prefer 
to do. And actually, it really worked out for me. That's how I got my current job. I was speaking at a conference and someone came up to me afterwards like, hey, can we have coffee and talk about the jobs at my company? And that's how I got there. And I was like, this worked. Like, this is the plan. Um, I wanted to actually give like a shout out to the organization that really uh, opened my eyes to this. It's called Right Speak Code. Uh, it's a nonprofit for marginalized genders, and they have workshops and things that that help me get started in this process. And I believe they still have like regional events and online workshops. If anyone else is interested in kind of getting started in their their writing or speaking journeys, and it's just another way of doing things. Like some people love doing like those algorithm challenges and those puzzles, and that really works for them. It just didn't work for what I like to do. Is you know, I tried uh, cracking the code interview, but I kept falling asleep. It wasn't for me. <laughs> is is speaking in front of other people something you've always been good at? And if not, what'd you do to get better at it? I don't think it's something I've always been good at. I think it's about thinking of it as a performance and thinking about your audience and just being confident. You know, I started with like five minute talks. And the first one, I was so nervous. I had index cards in front of me with every line I was going to say. And I threw them on the floor when I was done, which got a good laugh, which was fun. Um, but it's all about relaxing and thinking about how the audience is there for you. That was the best advice I got. It's like the audience is, it's not like a, that's how it's different than like a stand-up routine at a nightclub. At, at a conference, they're just excited to be there. They've come to your topic. They're there to see something. So they're not there to see you fail. They're there to see you succeed. So anything you can do to entertain them. And I really just lean into that aspect of it. Like I try to have um, one or two lessons in each in each talk and not have anything too intense because people aren't going to remember like a whole, you know, a whole list of commands or a whole project. They're going to remember parts of things and it's going to like, you know, get into their head and be like, oh, I heard 10 different serverless talks and now I'm kind of interested in serverless, right? You're not going to get get a lot to people. So I think about how, how could I hammer in like one, one or two interesting things per talk and how could I have fun with it? How can I make people enjoy their time? Because the difference between say a talk and a blog post, you know, blog post is actually much more useful when you're, when you're trying to figure out a problem, right? When you're trying to like look up specific code, a blog post is actually more useful because you have the code, you can see people's examples, you can copy and paste. But the reason I do a talk is to do entertainment. So I think to myself, actually, like when I'm deciding on a topic, like is this actually going to bring people entertainment versus just impart technical knowledge? And that's how I decide between, you know, a blog post and the talking and making sure that my talk is, is a lot of fun and people really enjoy it versus just getting, you know, a dry technical lecture. You know, I, I, I think your point is well taken that when it comes to giving presentations at conferences, the people are there to, aren't there to heckle as opposed to stand up where they very well might be there to, <laughs> to do just that. So yeah, it, it certainly is a, a, an easier path. I think stand up comedians have the most difficult job out there in terms of just speaking in front of others, because not only do they have to be comfortable in front of people, then they have to be funny too. And, and funny is very subjective. That's, that's, it's a, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard hill to, to climb up. So kudos to all the standups out there. So, you know, I, I, when it comes to the presentations that you have to give, Michelle, do you have a process for putting them together? And if so, what is it? So I always think about audience first. Like, who is this talk for? Is it for 
managers? Is it like, hey, here's how to do some leadership skill? Or is it for uh, junior engineers just getting into the industry or people trying to break it? Is it for someone who already has, say, knowledge of AWS, but like here's an interesting service they might use? So it's all about audience first. So I write down what who's my audience and what will they get out of it? So that's like my North star of what I'm building it. What do I, what do I want to write? So the next thing I do is I usually do uh, an outline of, of points I want to hit um, and making sure that I have a cohesive story and making sure it goes from, you know, an interesting intro to lots of good information I like to re re hit the same topic a couple times so that people really get it, and then and then and then wrap it up and say like, here, remember what we learned, um, and here's if you want more information, here here's where you can get it. So I try to build that cohesive story in the outline, um, and then it's then I usually write my CFP actually right then without building the presentation first because it's important to me to have focus. I think it's hard to build presentations before I know where I'm going to speak about it because it doesn't give me that drive to complete it. It's just like a personal thing. Um, but I really like having that outline and being like, okay, I'm, I know this is going to be useful. I don't have it all written out, but let me write a summary um, for the call for papers so I can submit it to a bunch of different conferences. And then when I hear back and I say like, all right, you'll be speaking at this conference in two months, let's go. Uh, that's when I start to build out um, my talk. So with career talks and personal projects, I'm a little more loose. I usually just have, you know, slides with, with um, almost no, I, I usually don't have very much text, only a little bit, just like pictures to illustrate, to get people's attention. Um, and then I like to just talk um, more a little off the cuff. For things that represent work projects, I have to be a little more uh, scripted because I have to run that by my work, right? I have to make sure like, hey, I'm going to be talking about a project I did at work. I'm going to be representing the company. Here's exactly what I'm going to say. And then I get feedback. So, um, so far, it's been, it hasn't been that bad at any company I've worked at. They've never been like, oh, no, you can't talk about things in broad strokes. They've just been like, oh, here's a particular thing that isn't exactly right, can you can you shift it? So it's important for those talks to have like a full script. But otherwise, I put a lot of work into making the um, presentations be visually interesting um, so that there's just something to, to look at but not be too distracting. So I think reading slides can be really distracting from people hearing my jokes that I really want people to hear my jokes. So that's really important to me. Oh yeah, you can't miss the jokes, no, no question. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, I was going to say one more thing. One thing I do recommend is that I actually purchase presentation templates. Like at first I tried to make my own, but then I realized why not just use the skills of others? And I didn't spend that much money and I've been able to reuse the template a bunch of times. So I highly recommend um, supporting artists and, you know, getting cool stuff like that. That way you can focus on things like writing your technical talks and building your projects and not stress too much about like, who is my you know, pictures aligned in the right way. Do they look nice? Well, you can, that's where you can outsource that. Yeah, I actually purchased presentation template too and it was money well spent, that's for sure. So when it comes to the presentations that you have to give, do you ever get nervous before them? And if so, how do you deal with your nerves? So I used to be nervous, definitely. Um, and I think it's just a matter of practice. That's all you can really do. 
uh, I usually practice the talks, you know, the night before. And, you know, I try to do a little bit right beforehand just to like get the, get the like shaking out of your voice, right? Just like say the words a couple times so you can say them well and say them smoothly. Um, but I think the only thing, it's just like, you know, it's just like engineering or sports or anything. The only way to really do it is just, just power through and just say, hey, you know, I've done this before. I can do it again and try to get that that joy from the audience. It's actually something I realized through this experience of working from home and all of that and the world of virtual conferences that it's just you really pull this energy from a crowd when you're speaking in front of them that you don't get as much virtually. So I think about that a lot. And I really appreciate that even more now as as not being able to enjoy that for two years, that going out now and speaking at conferences, just feeling that energy and just like soaking it in and knowing that people are there for you and just doing talks over and over and over again. Um, that's what really gets me through it. Nice. So for anybody who's, who's listening to the, to the podcast and is interested in getting better, at least more effective in communicating with others, what would be your number one tip for that person be? Uh, I would say audience first and speak succinctly. You know, a lot of what I, I, I see with people when I look at what they're doing is I'm deleting words from what they say. They use a lot of words. They use a lot of technical jargon. And I'm always cutting, cutting, cutting. Like, be, you know, you're there to tell a story. What is the most interesting story that you can tell? And also just to get into um, lightning talks and things like that. That's just a really great way of getting started. Like if, you know, you, anyone can do anything for five minutes, right? Like if we talk about something like running, which I've recently got to do, you could, anyone can run for five minutes. You can do a lightning talk for five minutes. And that's how you build that muscle and slowly and slowly get better with it. And just say, hey, I'm here to have fun. I'm here to teach one cool thing that I learned and people are going to be really excited and they're going to clap for me. So let me just do this five minutes and see if I can get through it. Nice. That's a great tip. Well, well, these are, this has been really interesting speaking with you, Michelle, how can people get in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Michelle Lynn B or you can find me on LinkedIn. Just make sure on LinkedIn, if you're going to connect with me to send me a message, because otherwise I'm going to think you're a robot. (laughs) Nice. Well, everyone that marks the end of another edition of teach the geek interviews, My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. Consider checking it out at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Till next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms or on all of them also if you prefer to watch the episodes head on over to the youtube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com until next time